0: Welcome to uh, December at Vertical Church. I'm excited about this month, and boy, what a worshipful yet um, sorrowful song, this song for Israel, that they might see that Emmanuel has come, that their eyes might be opened. Such uh, expectation and longing they had for a king, but because he came in an unexpected way, many... We're blinded to him, and what a, what a powerful truth that sometimes, often, maybe maybe even almost always, God shows up in unexpected ways, right? Different than what we would have thought, and it calls us to change so that we might see him for who he is. Amen? I'm looking forward to this month. We're going to be talking about unexpected joy. Finding Jesus in the unexpected places this Christmas. It's, uh, it's tempting to kind of expect him to show up in certain places. To expect him to show up when the presents are there on Christmas morning. To expect him to show up in a beautiful, heartfelt worship time. But to know that God sometimes shows up in some very different places, means we have to be ready for him. Sometimes he'll show up in that event that you hadn't planned for. And the thing is, God was never caught off guard by the moment. It was always his plan to work that way. We were the ones that were caught off guard, right? So back in 1989, Heather and I had been dating for a while, and I decided after talking with her dad, it was time to propose. So looking forward to that day, I set something up I was so nervous about. I, I called and got reservations at the mansion on Turtle Creek. Yeah, impressive, right? I was single and had lots of money. so. <laughs> and then I did what was the most difficult, well, the second most difficult part. I drove down there early in the day, took the ring... And gave it to one of the guys at the restaurant and said, When we order dessert, would you bring this out in something? So it will surprise her. And then I drove away and left that ring there. And I thought, man, what if they, I come back down there like, I don't know what you're talking about, but ring, you know? So I'm sweating it all the way through the meal. I order this, you know, big juicy steak, and I'm not even able to enjoy it. And Heather's just, you know, she goes, oh, this is so much fun. She's just enjoying it. She's relaxed. And then we order dessert. I'm really sweating this thing. And it finally comes out. The guy <laughs> brings out this thing. It looks like a giant Faberge egg, you know. It's huge. It's silver. And, and Heather's looking at it like, what did we order for dessert? That's weird. And the guy sits there, and I said, well, go ahead and open it. And so she... Opened it, and sure enough, there's the ring inside. Thank you, Lord. And she's like, What is this? And so, you know, she took the ring out, and then I said, Will you marry me? And she didn't even answer for the longest time. Uh, Where's my cheesecake? Yeah, she wanted the cheesecake. This isn't what we ordered. But uh, she finally, you know, said yes, and the people around us all cheered, and it was sweet and beautiful and memorable. And the thing is, I knew what was going on. I was still sweating it. She was clueless. She was unexpected that that was going to happen at that time. And that's the way it is with God's plans. He knows exactly what he's doing. He has a plan. He's prearranged it. He is working all things together. He knows. He has wisdom. We see the events that happen and to us, it appears unexpected. To us, the letter that comes in the mail that has the amount on it that's more than we can pay seems unexpected. The loss that happens to us seems unexpected. The sad moment seems unexpected. The confusing time seems unexpected. The doctor's diagnosis seems unexpected to us. But God has a purpose and a plan, and he's working all things together. Amen? It just means we have to get adjusted to his ways. He is the God of the unexpected. And the Christmas story is perhaps one of the most pointed and poignant at describing for us that God does things in unexpected ways. Many had prayed for a king to come, a redeemer to come. It was unexpected that he would be born through a virgin, be born in Bethlehem, be worshiped by shepherds, grow up in a simple trade as a carpenter, it was unexpected, and for that reason, many missed him. So it's my prayer for this month that we would be attuned to the unexpected and look for Jesus in those moments in our life. Amen? So today, uh, we're going to take a look at the Christmas story, but a part of the Christmas story that is often overlooked. It's not the, uh, it's not the part that you sit down and read with your family. It's actually the, the begets. Right? I mean, that's the part, like, Matthew chapter 1. Whew, why did I start here for my Bible reading program? You know, it's like, this person begat this person, begat this person, and their names are difficult to pronounce, and you're like, okay, chapter 2, let's get on past. You know, it's really, that's most, what most of us do. Chapter 1 of this story, which is part of the Christmas story, you're looking at what preceded the birth of Jesus Christ. The people who came before Jesus. The people who were in his family lineage. If he had had a, a living room with family photos on the wall, this is the list of the people you would have seen. If his, if his mother had a photo album laying out on the coffee table, these are the people you would have seen. If there had been a family reunions you know, of the ages, these are the people that would have been there. And if you've been to some family reunions, there's sometimes you wonder... They're in our family. How did that happen? Who are they? What are they doing? and what are they doing in our family tree? Here's the deal. The back story of Jesus includes some unexpected people. There's some people in the story that you will look at and think, "Really? They're in this story?" They are part of the backstory of Jesus. They are in the family tree. They are here. They're quite unexpected. But as we have already discussed, God uses the unexpected so that Christ can be born, not just to this world, but in our hearts. And formed in our lives. So let me kind of put this on screen so we all get this. This is where we're headed this month through this whole point right here. Here it is. The story of Jesus being formed in us always includes the unexpected. If you want to take a picture of that, remember it, write it down, whatever. This is where we're headed throughout this month. We're going to find Jesus in the unexpected places. And find their worship greater than you could have Imagined. Amen? You want, to, you want to take that journey with us? Yeah, let's do this. So, uh, Matthew chapter 1 is where that story begins. Matthew 1, chapter 1, verse 1. I'm going to read just part of it. I'm not going to read the whole thing because there's a lot of interesting names there and it gets long. And I'm afraid you'd start flipping over to Facebook if I started reading it. So, but I'll tell you up front this is the backstory of Jesus. These are the people that were part of his family lineage. These are the people that God placed in the story. These are people that are not there by accident. Some we know more about than others. Some we would be more proud of than others. But they are all part of the story. So just listen. I'm going to read a few of the verses here. It says in verse 1 the book of the genealogy of Jesus Christ, the son of, God, son of David, the son of Abraham. Abraham begot Isaac. Isaac begot Jacob. Riveting so far, right? Jacob begot Judah and his brothers. If you knew the whole story, it would be very riveting. Judah begot Perez. Zeron by Tamar. Perez begot Hezron. Hezron begot Ram. Ram begot Amenadab. Amenadab begot Nashon. And Nashon begot Salmon. Right? Amen? Yeah. Yeah. Salmon begot Boaz by Rahab. If you've been around the Bible much you may be a little startled right now to hear that in the backstory of Jesus is the woman named Rahab. Because if you've been around the Bible, you know that if someone mentions Rahab, it's usually followed with Rahab the harlot. You know, see? See what I'm saying? Rahab the harlot. And I'm gonna do my best this morning to remember that there are all ages in this room today. But I want to speak plainly about what's happening here. If you don't see the fullness of who's in this story and what God has done, you'll miss the, really tr- the real big truth here. So Rahab is a harlot. She is a woman who gives herself away for pay. This is what she's known for. Rahab the harlot. She's known by people who've read the scriptures as that. She was known in her day as that. This is what her house was about. What's interesting is, and we're not going to go into all the details of, of these others that are in the list of the genealogy of Jesus, but if you read on a little further, you'd find that Bathsheba is also in the list although she's not mentioned as Bathsheba, she's mentioned as the wife of Uriah. Another woman named Tamar is in the list, a woman who disguised herself as a woman of the night before her father-in-law so that she might have a child. Yes, these are in the family lineage, the backstory of Jesus. You might think, really? You would think in the backstory of Jesus are faithful people, diligent people. Their whole life had been pristine, never a problem, straight A's in school, you know, excelled after that and became greater. And with each generation were greater and greater people doing greater and greater things. But that's not the case. You find people in this story that are unexpected. You find people making up the backstory of Jesus that you might not think you'd find there. You find people leading up to the birth of Jesus, unexpected in the story. Rahab lived in a pagan and ungodly city. The city was Jericho. Rahab lived in the city that was a stronghold that God's people would have to remove before they could enter the promised land. Rahab lived a life of ungodliness. That's all she had known. Rahab Lived a life that caused the destruction of men. Rahab lived a life that caused the destruction of marriages. Rahab lived a life that led men into greater wickedness. Rahab lived in a city that was under the condemnation of God. And yet here she is in the backstory of Jesus. You see... In each one of our lives, there are elements, there are parts, there are times, there are places that today we do our best to try to keep others from seeing, right? Someone asks you about your past and you tell them all the glossy great points and you leave out all the gory point, points, right? You know, you don't tell those parts until you get to know this person maybe a little bit better and then you still don't tell them all of those parts. But there are parts in all of our lives that would appear unexpected. Like, well, I don't know. I'm not sure what this piece is doing. I just kind of segment it and don't think about it. I just kind of remove it and leave that out. I kind of don't talk about that. I don't mention that. I don't think about that. I leave that out of the picture because that part doesn't seem to fit the whole story. I can't make it mesh with God's work in my life today. Well, we are going to see that God uses even those moments and especially those moments for doing his greatest work in our life today. They're not meant for us to keep locked away. They're not meant for us to keep secured. They're not meant for us to keep away from him. They are meant for us to open wide the doors of and allow Jesus to come in to those areas. Amen? Amen. All right. We're all on the same page here. Let's kind of move forward. Our passage today is Joshua chapter 2. So if you're turning in your Bibles, that's where you want to go. Old Testament, early Old Testament, Joshua chapter 2. Follow me along there in an app. You can follow me on screen. You're free to take pictures of the screen, notes along the way. Joshua chapter 2. Let me give you a little bit of a background to this passage, and we're going to jump into it. It's the story of Rahab. It's where we meet her, okay? So the children of Israel have come out of Egypt. They've been given... God's law, God's commandments, the tabernacle, as we talked about recently. And Moses has been their leader. But Moses has aged, and Moses has just died. Joshua is the new leader who will take them into the promised land. All that God had promised them, they were about to march into it. And they have to go past Jericho. You know you gotta go past the strongholds in your life if you want to really enter into the promised land, right? You've got to defeat those things. You've got to remove them. You've got to have them defeated. And that's what's happening here. They're about to go in to Jericho And the children of Israel are pretty wise because they send some spies ahead to check it out. Here we go. Joshua chapter two, verse one. Now, jo- now Joshua the son of Nun sent out two men from Acacia Grove to spy secretly, saying, "Go view the land, especially Jericho, this walled-off city." So they went and came to the house of a harlot named Rahab, and lodged there. Now, right away, you think, okay, you're two men, two men of God, from the people of God, you're on mission for God, and you go into the city, and you're gonna stay where? You go knock on whose door? Of all the places, that's where you go? It doesn't tell us how they got to that spot. It just says, this is where they went. I've tried to think in my mind, What would lead two guys to think, where can we go and stay? Hey, there's a harlot. Let's go to her house. I thought, you know, maybe these guys were kind of smart, actually. Who else's house are you going to go to as two men, strangers in town, knock on the door and say, can we come in? And she say, sure. Who else are you going to go to? And that's going to happen. And her not tell anybody. Mm. Let's continue on. Verse 2. And it was told the king of Jericho, saying, Behold, men have come here tonight from the children of Israel to search out the country. You see, there's a pretty good network there. You couldn't come into the city without being seen and known, and they have been seen and they've been seen going into the harlot's house verse 3 so the king of jericho sent to rahab saying hey bring out the men who have come to you who have entered your house for they have come to search out all the country verse 4 then the women then the woman took the two men and hid them hmm i wonder where rahab got the idea To hide the men who had come to her. You think she'd done that before? Hello. Right? This is what people like Rahab do. She was accustomed to hiding men. She took the two men and hid them. So she said, yes, the men came to me, but I did not know where they were from. Verse 5. And it happened as the gate was being shut, when it was dark, that the men went out. Now, all of a sudden, Rahab has gone off on another another storyline here all of a sudden because she's hidden these two men. They've come into her house, and she has hidden them. I'm sure they had told her who they were, and she chose to hide them in her house. And she makes this story. They went out. Where the men went, I do not know. Pursue them quickly, for you may overtake them. 6, a little parenthesis description of the story here, but she had brought them up to the roof and hidden them with the stalks of flax, which she had laid in order on the roof. Mm. Some think that maybe she had this side job or primary job. I'm not sure which was the side, you know, employment here. But she has this role of, of uh, selling flax, of maybe making garments or rope or something along that line. And she has a lot of it on her roof. Which, by the way, she has been positioned, her house is positioned within the wall of Jericho. Not, not in the city, but on the wall. She has the ability to see in and out. She's in a prominent place. It says, but she brought them up to the roof and had hidden them with the stalks of flax, which she had in order on the roof. Verse 7, then the men pursued them by the road to the Jordan to the fords. So the guys who had come looking for them, she sends them out and so, I think they went that way. Yeah, that, that way. That's where they went. And these guys say, okay, here we go. Let's go. What's interesting to me in this verse, it says that, so they, so they pursued them by the road to Jordan, the river, to the Fords. This is not where the Mustangs were parked or the F-150s. It, Fords is different here. Man, are y'all with me? That, that's funny, Right? <laughs> Thank you for all that fake laughter. No, to the Fords, you know, this wasn't Mustangs and F-150s. This was an area where they could cross over the river, by the river. So they pursue them. They leave her and these men there, the spies. And as soon as those who pursued them had gone out, they shut the gate. So they're gone. The guys who were looking for them are gone. They are all of a sudden in a safe spot. Verse 8 and 9. Now, before they lay down, she came up to them on the roof and said to the men, this is important, I know that the Lord has given you the land, that the terror of you has fallen on us, and that all the inhabitants of the land are faint-hearted because of you. I don't know where she got this information. I don't know who told it to her, but it was made alive in her by the Holy Spirit. God was speaking to her. And she reveals that, hey, I know what's coming. We've heard stories. And if you backtrack history here a little bit, you're talking about decades ago stories. And she says, I know that the Lord has given you the land. She was confessing that God was the one who was Lord over all. Verse 10, For we have heard how the Lord dried up the water of the Red Sea for you when you came out of Egypt, and what you did to the kings of the Amorites, who were on the other side of the Jordan, Sihon, Og, whom you utterly destroyed. Verse 11, And as soon as we heard these things, our hearts Melted, neither did there remain any more courage in anyone because of you. For the Lord your God, He is God in heaven above and on the earth beneath. In this moment, she was acknowledging to these men who were men of God, I know that the Lord is God, I know that He has given you this city. We are terrified. And she was really kind of spilling her heart before these two men. Boy, that takes some courage. That takes some Holy Spirit working in her heart. You don't say the things of God unless God has caused you to be alive first. You know that, right? And here she was speaking truth, admitting it, as though she hadn't had anybody else to talk to about these things. Finally, these two men come, men of God, and she's able to really pour out her heart and say, God's been working in my heart. I know these things are true. I believe that your God is God in heaven and here on earth. Verse 12, now therefore, I beg you, "'Swear to me by the Lord, since I have shown you kindness, "'that you also will show kindness to my father's house, "'and give me a true token, and spare my father and mother, "'my brothers and sisters, and all that they have, "'and deliver our lives from death.'" She was saying, is there any way that we can be saved from the destruction that's coming? We know that God is going to bring judgment because of sin and that this land belongs to him. We know that's coming. Is there a way we can be saved? How can I be saved? Do you see what she's asking? She's asking for redemption for her life, to be rescued. She's confessing it to these men. Verse 14, so the men answered her, our lives for yours. If none of you tell this business of ours. And it shall be when the Lord has given us the land, he will deal kindly and truly with you. Verse 15. Then she let them down by a rope through the window, for her house was on the city wall. She dwelt on the wall. And she said to them, get to the mountain, lest the pursuers meet you. Hide there three days. Until the pursuers have returned. Afterwards, you may go your way. So the men said to her, We will be blameless of this oath of yours, which you have made us swear, unless when we come into the land, you bind this line of scarlet cord in the window through which you let us down. The guy said, Look, we'll go. We will rescue you when we come back to take this city. Here's the deal this cord that you let us down with, the scarlet rope that you have put out for us, you have to leave this hanging in the window. That way we will know yours is the house to keep safe. You will be rescued because of the scarlet red cord in your window. What a beautiful pre-picture of the salvation of Jesus. If you'll confess him, believe him, and let your life illustrate, demonstrate the scarlet cord of blood and rescue. When he returns, you will be rescued with him. Amen? Amen. Beautiful pre-picture here. We'll talk more about that in just a moment. Um, Verse 18 continues. And it says, and unless you bring your father, your mother, your brothers, and your father's household to to your own home, bring them all there with you. So it shall be that whoever goes outside the doors of your house into the street, his blood shall be on his head, and we will be guiltless. Make sure you bring them all in your house. Make sure they're all there. Make sure they all believe, for then they will be rescued. In verse 20, it says, And if you tell this business of ours, then we will be free from your oath." but she made us swear verse 21 ends our passage it says this then she said according to your words so be it and she sent them away and they departed and she bound the scarlet cord in the window hmm. an unexpected person in the story of Jesus an unexpected person in the backstory of how Jesus would come to this earth of how Jesus would be born. A story you might not find in our children's ministry with the flannel graph, right? That's just awkward. It's It's not part of it. A story that you won't find in some children's Christmas video. It's just awkward. A story that doesn't play out so well on your beautiful mantle ceramic manger scene right? it's just awkward but it is a part of the story of Jesus' birth into this world to be our savior and so every one of us have parts of our story that have been part of what God used to bring you to the place where Christ would be born in you it's part of your story you might think, oh, I can't really tell this part of the story. And maybe in certain settings, you shouldn't. Maybe you shouldn't put that on a final graph or on the fireplace. But hear me. Your story, every part of your story, especially the ones you don't like to broadcast, are the ones where God will bring about unexpected worship in your life because that unexpected story is part of your story, part of God's story. And you can't leave it out just as God didn't leave out Rahab, did not leave out Bathsheba, did not leave out Tamar. He left them all in so that everyone knew this is part of the story. Of Jesus birth so today in making some application I want us to think about what do we do then with those parts of our story that are less than warm and fuzzy less than beautiful what do we do with those parts of the story let's make some application about how to find Jesus in your unexpected we all have it today let me just ask you this You don't have to say what it is, but just so that we're all together here this morning, could you at least raise your hand and say, yes, I have some parts in my backstory that are not all that pretty and a little bit unexpected if you heard it. Anybody? Anybody? Okay. Please look around. That's everybody in the room, right? Okay. So we're all on the same page. You're not weird because you got that part of your story. That person sitting next to you, they've got the same thing. The story's a little different, but they've got it. So What do you do with those parts of your story? Here's the first thing we learn from our story today. Welcome the grace and truth of God into your unexpected place. You know, here was uh, Rahab living her life. I don't know how she got to this point in her life, but this is what she was doing. And when these two men came in, she knew what they were there for. She knew why they had come. She knew because they told her, but she knew because God had revealed it to her also. And here's the thing. She did not send them out when they came in. She didn't say, oh, oh you men are from men of, men of God? Oh, get out of here. Get, get, get. You don't belong in this place. She didn't do that. She welcomed them in. She welcomed them into the very place of her sin. She welcomed them into that place where she had known wickedness, where she had known shame. She brought them into that place. She welcomed them into that place to meet with her. I know it's often those places in our life we like to close off. It's kind of like that part of our house that we, we close the door to when guests come over. Like, yeah, don't go down that hallway. Yeah, no, don't go in that room. That's uh, no, 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 I got stuff in there. Yeah, yeah, it's messy. You don't want to go in there. Really, there's stuff in there that we would be maybe ashamed of if they saw it. Maybe there's a hallway. Maybe there's a room. Maybe there's a closet. And we think, Ugh. Sometimes life Plays out like that. Parts of our life where we think, ah, I just don't want. Uh, I don't want to talk about God in that place at the same time. I kind of leave that spot out. I kind of remove it from the story. I don't deal with God and that part of the story. If that's your story, if you're leaving it out, then you're missing out on what His story can be in your story. You're missing out on what He can do in that place. You're missing out on all that He has for you because. It's only when you welcome grace and truth into the unexpected place that you find real life. It makes me sad sometimes when people, they'll come to church, they'll hear messages, but there's this disconnect between what happens here and what happens there. It's almost like this is a a religious thing that you do that's unrelated to what you do out there. This is not the gospel if you do that. Our goal here at Vertical Church is to lift him up here and to live him out there. To take what he does here and take it there. And the places of your greatest pain, shame, embarrassment are the places where God longs to enter in And show you his forgiveness. You can't know forgiveness if you don't let him into that spot. If if you don't let him into that spot, then forgiveness to you is some Bible subject without life reality. It's something you talk about, oh God gave us forgiveness at the cross. But if that has never entered your life to the places of your greatest embarrassment, shame, filth, disobedience, and yuck. If it's never entered there, if you've never made the application there, you're just playing a religious game. You're just talking a religious talk. It's, it happens. Our life is changed when we invite the truth and grace into the very area of our greatest shame and pain. She opened her heart to them because she said, we've heard and we've been afraid. We've been afraid all this time. I haven't had anybody to talk to, but I'm opening myself to you. This is where it starts. If you want to redeem the unexpected places in your life, it starts by allowing his grace and truth to come right into those rooms. Those places. The second thing about the unexpected areas is that we should let worship flow from what God does in your unexpected. You know, some of your deepest worship will come out of those places. Your greatest joy, your greatest passion, your greatest motion. Emotional experience with God will come when His truth enters in to your unexpected areas, Amen. the, the not-so-pretty areas, the places where you have feared and places where you've had some regret and some places where you've had some shame, when all of a sudden you see Christ on the cross for those specific sins, your sins. Not just in general sins, but your shame. When you see him taking that, when you see him taking yours, it'll change you when you get forgiveness and mercy in that place. You see, what we don't know about this story is how Rahab got to this place. How you get to the place when where what you are known by is that you are Rahab the harlot. How do you get to that place? We don't know what happened in her story. We don't know if she was abused as a child. We don't know if she had been forced into this life. We don't know if she was being trafficked. We don't know if maybe this had been all she had ever known from when she was just a child. We don't know what hurts had happened. We don't know what thoughts of fear and guilt and shame and insecurities and pain filled her heart daily. But here in this moment, Rahab knows that God has sent her help. God has sent her a way out. God has made a way for her to leave this life and to know peace with him. And when that happens, that's when healing begins to erupt in her heart. And when that happens there, that is when a change comes. That's when all of a sudden, what has been this plastic what has been this very religious appearing, very safe, very guarded approach to life and even church begins to all crumble and break down because the gospel came in and it touched the very core of who you were. And it's no longer just something you talked about, something you did. It became who you were. It entered in and it changed you. The story in the, in the New Testament tells about a woman who had a, a similar past as Rahab. And she finds out that Jesus is in town, and she finds out about his forgiveness and love. She's heard him speak, and she is just overwhelmed because the message became very real to her all of a sudden, where she had been rejected and filled with such shame and regret and pain. Now, all of a sudden, she understood the love of God for her. And the Bible says that she went and got an alabaster vase. And it was filled with very expensive oil, perfume. And she went to where Jesus was and she found him and she got down on her hands and knees and she began to pour it out on his feet. And she began to weep. And she began to wipe his feet with her hair. In this very emotional, moving time of worship, there are some other men in the room, and they are so filled with their arrogance. They're so filled with their religious perspective. They're so filled with their inability to let Christ into their life that they sit there and say, why are you letting her do that? What an extravagant waste. Do you not know who she is And here she is, filled with extravagant, broken, I don't care what you think of me, worship, because she has been loved in the most deepest parts of her life. She believed it was for her. And there are countless people today who sit in churches like ours who are playing plastic religious games They're just going through the motions. They're not paying attention to the message. And all of a sudden, God breaks through in their life one day, and they realize the message is not just something in the Bible. It's something for their life. And he penetrates their heart, enters into their great place of pain and regret and shame. And all of a sudden, they come alive. All of a sudden, singing means something different than it did before. All of a sudden, opening the scriptures means something different than it did before. All of a sudden, being with other believers means something different than it did before because they let worship flow from the very place that they were faced with their own sin, but faced with his own forgiveness for them. When you let him into that place, that unexpected part of your life, then worship just erupts from that place, and it should. If you ever get to that spot in your life where you think, well, I'm just feeling kind of, uh, I don't know, I'm just feeling kind of blase about the whole church thing. I'm just, I just can't really get into worship. I'm having a hard time. I just, everything just seems kind of, hmm. If that's where you are, it's time to revisit that unexpected place in your life. It's time to remember where you came from. It's time to remember what he did. It's time to take on the reality of what Christ did for you when you had absolutely no hope in your life and let worship come out of that spot right there. Those who've been forgiven much, they love much. Mm, This is real, real, where real worship comes from. The next thing you have to do with those unexpected areas is you have to let faith well up from what God has done in your unexpected. When all of a sudden he does that thing in you, when you allow him in, you bring him into your house, your heart, and he heals you there, and love is flowing from that moment, and you're filled with worship all of a sudden because of what he's done there, let faith well up in that moment too. You see, Rahab did something because of what had been done for her. Rahab said, I can't just let this sit in me. I've got to do something. And that's what happens. When the Spirit of God comes in and begins to change your life, you got to do something, right? You you act on it. You put it into practice. You, You make it a reality by what you do next. And the Bible's clear. She did something based on what she believed. She hid the men, the Bible's clear, She also provided a way of escape for them. And she put the cord in the window. She made some decisions. She took some public outward action based on what God had done. Her faith welled up from the place that God had worked in her. Now, when you get to the New Testament, it mentions Rahab. I just want to read a couple of verses here of where you find Rahab. Make a note of this. Hebrews 11, which is where is listed the people of Scripture who had great faith. People who really put into action what they believed. Listen to what it says in Hebrews 11, verse 30. By faith, the walls of Jericho fell down after they were encircled for seven days. By faith, the harlot Rahab did not perish with those who did not believe when she had received the spies with peace. There she is. She's in Hebrews 11. She's held up as one of the great people of faith. Listen to what it says next. And what more shall I say? For time would fail me to tell of Gideon and Barak and Samson and Jephthah, also of David and Samuel and the prophets. Wait a minute. You could have told us about David and Samuel and the prophets. You could have told us about all the things that they did, but you chose not to because you really wanted to give a little bit of emphasis to Rahab. Wow. Here was a woman of faith. She had been living one way, heard the message of God and decided, I'm done. I'm not going to do this anymore. In fact, I'm going to serve the Lord from here on out. And she stopped hiding men for her purposes, and she started hiding men for God's purposes. She started doing something different with her life. Instead of sneaking around, she became one who was prevalent and powerful in faith, so much so that she gets listed in the book of Hebrews. She also gets mentioned in the book of James. James 2.25, likewise, was not Rahab the harlot also justified by works when she received the messengers and sent them out another way? Wow, she gets listed twice in the New Testament after we've already seen her in Matthew chapter one. She's held up as a woman of great faith because she let faith come out of the place she had been helped and healed. That's what you have to do. You've got those places in your life, those places that are unexpected, the places that you try to hide. If you keep the door closed, if you don't let Christ into that spot to heal you, to forgive you, then you'll never have this drive of faith and passion in your life. But when you let him in, that's what unlocks the passion. That's what unlocks the drive. You can't play plastic Christianity and have passion to overcome sin in your life. But when you let him in, you better watch out. You'll start worshiping in ways you had not worshipped before. You may find yourself on the floor at the feet of Jesus. You may find yourself pouring out what others consider extravagant. You may find yourself doing some things that you haven't done before. You may find yourself all of a sudden risking your life for the sake of the kingdom of God. When you let him in to that unexpected place. Last application this morning. The thing you have to do with the unexpected is declare the hope of Christ over your unexpected. Here was Rahab in this house on the wall. Here was Rahab known as the harlot. Here was Rahab all of a sudden is met by God and she responds in love, in worship, and in faith. And she does something that really changes things for her. It's not just hiding the men. It wasn't just sending them out, but she did something that became kinda her public statement. She left that cord That she had helped the men be rescued by in the window. A scarlet cord, red like the blood of an animal sacrificed, red like the blood of a lamb sacrificed. She let her life picture the sacrifice of Christ, and she lived in anticipation of God rescuing her out of the city. And this was her public declaration. When you saw her window on the wall, you saw the scarlet cord. Wow, that's different for Rahab. You know, I heard people aren't going by there like they used to anymore. Yeah, I heard that. I heard she's really kind of different these days. Yeah, I heard that. Unfortunately, they didn't hear that for very long because God's people did come. They did march around the walls, and the walls did fall. And Rahab and her family were saved. They were redeemed. She let the hope of Christ now frame her life. Those parts of your life that you've tried to hide, they're really meant for you to let Christ be seen in. I know it may seem awkward getting with a group of people and talking about your past. I'm going to tell you what. There's power. There's power in the gospel. When a friend, a family member, a spouse, a child hears you talk about how God changed your life, especially in the unexpected places, the unpretty places, Places. I love the fact that um, in the Old Testament we knew Rahab one way but in the New Testament we know Rahab a different way in the Old Testament she was the harlot in the New Testament she's a hero in the Old Testament she lived in sin The New Testament tells us she lived in sacrifice. I was listening to uh, Stephen Furtick talk about Rahab. And he tells this great story. He kind of paints it up in the way Stephen Furtick does. He talks about one day being in heaven and the different people that, you know, would all be curious to go see. You know, man, I want to go see, after I've seen Jesus, I want to make sure I go see the Apostle Paul. I want to make sure I go see uh, Peter. I want to make sure I go see John. You know, and you want to go see all these kind of notable characters. But he tells it like, you know, there's probably some other characters that you could go see that uh, are probably not getting as much attention. You know, Bartholomew, who's in line to go see him, you know. (laughs) Or, or, or Rahab, who's in line really to go see her? You could probably go see her. And the way Ferdick tells it, he says, You know, he's, I can imagine you go over to the Apostle Peter and he's got his, uh, his iPad out and you say, Hey, um, is there a chance I could see uh, Rahab the harlot? He's, oh, Okay, just a second. Let me look. Hmm. Ray, Rahab, uh, let's see. Well, uh, who, who? Rahab the harlot? Uh, you know what? I, there is no Rahab the harlot here. Yeah. He's now. There's a Rahab here, but there's no Rahab the harlot here. You see, when you let God into the unexpected places in your life, and you let him redeem those areas, and you begin to be changed by it, you no longer wear the badge of what you used to wear. You're not who you were. You are who God says you are now. And that becomes a place you celebrate. I was a guy in my dark places that was depressed, fearful, panic disorders, confused, couldn't figure out life. When I tried, I became this real legalistic, rule-oriented, religious guy that really nobody liked and I didn't either, until one day I heard the message of grace, God wasn't measuring me based on what I had done in my good attempts to try to be good enough. His worth in me was found in what Christ did for me. When that happened, it changed me. It changed my worship. It changed my faith. It changed my passion. And out of my dark places, out of my hurt, out of what most would think that was unexpected, came the most passionate Worship and desire to serve God. You really do find Jesus in the unexpected places yeah. when you open up every door and every window yeah. and hang out a scarlet cord. Mm. Amen? Yeah. Let's pray together. Father, today. We are all very well aware of areas in our life that are not pretty, that are dark, that we don't talk about. They're the unexpected places that if someone else were to see our story, they would be surprised. They'd be maybe alarmed, and we'd be embarrassed. Father, I know it's in those very areas. It's for those very areas that you sent your son so that we might know forgiveness and love and grace and mercy. And I pray this morning that our hearts would be open to allow you to enter into those places, to love us there. And that we wouldn't let shame cause us to be silent. Instead, we'd let your sacrifice cause us to celebrate. That we wouldn't let fear dominate our life. We wouldn't let the fear of other people control us. We would be more overwhelmed at what you've done for us. And that in those places where you have worked the deepest, in the most unexpected places, that the most unexpected worship would break forth from us this morning. May we be a people who are changed and experience true, unexpected joy because of what you have done for us in the cross this morning we come to say we love you thank you thank you for redemption thank you for saving our life thank you for freeing us from coming judgment and thank you for making us new out of that place We sing today, we worship today and pray in Christ's name, amen.